Okay, guys, let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. We are still in Matthew chapter 12, but tonight I get the privilege of talking about the last few verses of Matthew chapter 12 as we conclude that chapter. Okay, so Matthew chapter 12, and we'll be in verses 46 to 50. Again, if you guys want um, my outline, it's very simple. There's sheets over here by the window and some pens and pencils to to help you if you would like. Okay? Um, As we begin tonight, you'll notice that the title of, of my lesson tonight is The Family of God. You'll also notice what our theme is, okay? What is the point about what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes, okay? And our theme is, whoever does God's will follows Christ and is in the family of God, okay? That's our theme. Whoever does God's will is the one who follows Christ and is in the family of God. Now, let me ask you guys a quick question, okay, as we continue. What is, what is a family? I get to show off my family here tonight. What is a family? Okay. Tell, t- just one or two or three of you, go ahead and tell me. I've always been wanting to do this. So here's my family, okay? And say goodbye. There we go. Okay. Exactly seven people. <laughs> no. What's that? Yes. Say that again. Uh, so, so a family is love, okay? Exactly seven people. <laughs> okay, and that, okay, to be precise, yes. Yes. A group of people that love each other. A group of people that love each other. Connection. Connection. People who grew up together. People who grew up together. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, okay. People, okay. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, hopefully. Hopefully best friends, right? Yeah. Good. What what you need? Oh, sorry, right here. Yep. Okay, uh, I would say 75% of you are pretty, yeah, you're on target, okay? Good. Can I give you a couple of definitions from the dictionary on what a family is? Okay, Webster's Dictionary, very credible dictionary, okay? Just listen, and you'll understand as we, as we see just the definition of a family here. Okay, ready? A social group made up of parents and their children. <laughs> pretty simple, pretty straightforward. What about this one? Okay, ready? And so one of you kind of mentioned this already. A group of people who come from the same ancestor. What? <laughs> a group of people who come from the same ancestor. Okay? Okay, but we're getting more specific here. Let's funnel it down. Now, here's a better definition, okay? I found this one. A group of persons united by the ties of marriage between a husband and a, a man and a woman. Blood, okay, you mentioned blood, okay? Or adoption, constituting a single household. And interacting with each other in their respective social positions, usually those of spouses, parents, children, and siblings. Okay? Pretty good definition of a family, right? Makes sense. You gotta have a mom and dad, and then children from there, 
And if you really want to be really specific, even just the husband and the wife, just the man and the woman together, that constitutes a family. Okay? Yes? Okay, now you're, you're stealing my, some of my answers, okay? Don't do that. Don't jump ahead, okay? <laughs> so, there's the family. As we come to our text tonight, we're going to go uh, verse by verse here, phrase by phrase, and understand what Jesus is talking about when it comes to the family of God, okay? Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the church, not a whole lot, as much as I would like to, but that's of vital importance in, with what we're talking about here tonight, okay? So you have your outline, and we begin with point number one. We see the quest of the family. What, what is the quest of the family? I hope you have your Bibles open. Matthew 12, verses 46 and 47. Matthew 12, 46 and 47. While he, that is Jesus, was still speaking to the crowds, behold... His mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him, to Jesus. Someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. Now, real quickly, who were they? Who were these people standing outside seeking to speak to Jesus? Well, Mark Chapter 6, verse 3 tells us that Jesus had four younger brothers, at least two sisters, and they were the children of Mary and Joseph. The sisters' names have not been recorded in Scripture, but his brothers' names were, and they are James, Joseph, Simon, and Jude. So in this context tonight, you have these brothers... And Mary, his mother, his earthly mother, standing outside wishing to speak to their, her, her son and their, their brother, Jesus. Jesus had a real earthly family. Pretty incredible to think about. Mark 6.3 also tells us that the people knew Jesus as the son of a carpenter, Joseph, right? And you might be asking the question, well, why doesn't he say tonight, later down in our text, why doesn't he mention his father, Joseph? More than likely by this time, Joseph has already died. And that's probably why he's not mentioned in our text tonight. So with this information, as we come to our text tonight, we see that James, Joseph, Simon, Jude, and Mary, his mother, are standing outside seeking to speak to him. To speak to him about what? Well, by this time, Jesus is in his 30s, okay? He's an adult. So mom and brothers probably aren't trying to get him home in time for dinner, right? That's not why they're coming after him. Or to say, hey, brother, hey, son, we're going to Starbucks. Come on, stop teaching in the synagogue. Stop teaching in the homes. Or, you know, do they want to talk with him about yesterday's game? No such conversations like this, I don't think, was their intention. But we're not, we're not exactly sure as to why they wanted to speak to him. But in light of what we're about to hear concerning Jesus' true family, I can tell you this. Jesus knows all things, right? And he doesn't seem too impressed that his family is interrupting his teaching in order to speak to him. 
Jesus knows why they're outside seeking to speak to him, doesn't he? He knows the hearts of all men. John 2, 25. He knows all people's motives and intentions in wanting to speak to him. Now, pause there real quickly. Keep this in mind. I'll mention this again. Jesus loved his earthly family dearly. He did. In fact, if we want to be accurate, Jesus loved his earthly family perfectly. Why? Because he's God. Okay? He loved them perfectly. But as Luke chapter 2 indicates, he began preparing his family as early as the age of 12 for the fact that he had been born for a purpose that had been given to him by God the Father. This was a purpose that differed from the priorities of his earthly family. For whatever reasons why they wanted to come and speak to him while he was teaching. Okay? So, even when he was 12 years old, the first time his family went seeking after him, when they had left, behind in, left him behind in Jerusalem for, for the feast and for the worship, when they, were, when they left back, they just assumed he was in the caravan, right? And they were, they were furious. To, they went all the way back. They traveled all the way back to Jerusalem, and they found Jesus there in the temple. And Jesus, at the age of 12 looks at his parents and he says, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? 12 years old, 12 years old, okay? You see, his earthly family found it hard to understand or appreciate what Jesus was all about. I mean, don't you think you'd find a heart, your your, your little son, your 12-year-old son, is saying this? Mary and Joseph, knowing the promises of what the angels said and that he was going to be the Messiah, the Savior, but still to hear those words out of your 12-year-old son. Why are you seeking after me? I am about my father's business. Whoa, this is crazy, right? His family found it hard to understand and appreciate what he was all about. He was all about proclaiming the gospel and saving souls. We're going to get get you back home safe, son. I gotta get you dinner. I gotta get you washed up. He was about his father's business, though. Now, in fact, the thing about the family quest here in our first point in seeking to speak with Jesus is that according to John chapter 7, verse 5, listen to what God's word says. Not even his brothers were believing in him. Not even his brothers were believing in him. Him. They were probably just trying to bring Jesus to his senses at this moment in our text tonight as they come to his teaching. Uh, Just, Jesus, come to your senses, man. Just stop and be normal. (laughs) Be like the, the rest of us and live normally. And after all, Jesus was the eldest son in the family. He was the firstborn. So he would have had been responsible for caring for the family after Joseph's death. Can you imagine his adult brothers, mother coming? Man, you're, you're teaching, you're preaching, you know, and, and, and you're doing all these crazy things. Um, let, come on, let, let, let's be normal here. No wonder Matthew uses the word behold in verse 46. And 47 of our text tonight. Did you see that? Behold is mentioned twice. Behold is a big word. In the Greek, it's idu. Idu. 
is they would say that to capture people's attention. Idu, idu, idu. Look, guess what? Check this out. That's what that's that's what it meant in their in their language in their day. Behold, verse forty six. What does it say? Behold. His mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. And then whoever it was in verse 47, he's he's unnamed. He says the same thing. Someone said to him, behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. Drop everything what you're doing right now, right? Their priority, right? Come, come get them. Come, come see them, right? So in our text tonight, we see his mother and brothers, they stood without, desiring to speak to him about whatever it was, when they should have been standing within, desiring to hear him. Please don't miss that. They stood without. Now listen, could they have come in? Yeah, they could have come in. They could have sat at his feet, just like everyone, all, all of his disciples. They could have, but they stayed without, and they just, knock, knock. We're here to see Jesus. He's my son. Yeah, he's our, he's our brother. We, we need to talk. Okay, yeah. They stayed without when they should have been within. Sadly and frequently, those who are nearest to the means of knowledge and grace, like we are, are sometimes negligent of it. Think of it. His brothers and sisters living with him and being with him for some 25 plus years and they don't even know who he is. Truly, 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 truly who he is. Here's the danger and warning of becoming too familiar with Jesus that you take him for granted. Thinking you know him when you don't, kind of like his brothers. I mean, come on, his brothers knew him as, you're this height, you're this skin color, you've, I've lived with you, I know your, your, your habits, I, I know, I know what you, how you play, I know how you work, I know how you interact with others. Okay, yeah, but is that all you know? Is that all you know? So how then does Jesus react and respond to this, to what's happening? The guy came, He's at the door. He's at Jesus. He's teaching his disciples. And by the way, Pharisees and scribes were there too. You see that in the previous verses, okay? He's warning them against the Pharisees and false teaching. And he's coming down to this next section tonight. And he's talking about, here are my true disciples. So that's the context, okay? So how does he react and respond to him saying, your mother, your brother's outside seeking to speak to you. How would you respond? How did Jesus respond? As often is the case, so much in the Gospels, how does Jesus respond? He responds with asking a question. With asking a question. That brings us to point two. The Q&A by Jesus in verses 48 and 49. Here is how Jesus responds. Look at verse 48 and 49. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? (laughs) And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. Gulp. 
I don't know if you catch it or not, but this is sizzling with intensity, okay? Because let me ask you this, does, doesn't that sound kind of rude? Mom and brothers are outside seeing you speak to you. You're teaching the words of life, proclaiming the gospel, okay? They just want to see you. They just want to talk to you. Oh, drop what you're doing. Family's more important. Whatever the need is, family's more important. Was he being rude? Well, here's the thing. If he was being rude, he wouldn't be holy. He wouldn't be God if he was being rude. He says in his word in Exodus 20, honor thy father and thy mother. He wasn't dishonoring his family. Because if he broke the fifth commandment in the slightest, he would not be God. He would not be the son of God. Understand this tonight, guys, okay? He loved his earthly family, okay? Luke chapter two says he honored his parents. He submitted and he subjected himself to his sinful parents, Mary and Martha. Incredible. And think of Luke 19, 26. From the cross, he cared for his mother's well-being. Remember that? He's hanging there on the cross and he looks to his, his disciple, John, and he says, John, Behold your mother. In other words, take care of her. So guys, don't lose the fact that Jesus loved his earthly family. And we, as young men, you you as young men, uh, should love your earthly families. Please don't miss that point, okay? But what is this question? What is he asking when he says, Who is my mother and my brothers? Another way to say it is this. Who is my true, eternal, heavenly family? Who are those who are closest to me? Who are my true, and we'll see this word here, he said it already, disciples? Who are those who follow after me? Well, he gives his answer with the drama of reaching out his hand towards his disciples. And he said, behold, Idu, my mother and my brothers. Now, as shocking as that might have sounded to his earthly family standing outside the door, right? Imagine they heard that, right? He's calling them. Mother and brothers, he's calling them his family. (gasps) Perhaps maybe they were a little struck by that. As shocking as that might have been, let let me just remind us of this. How comforting that must have been for his disciples sitting there. Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God, saying, You're my brothers. You're my sisters. Jesus Can you imagine them sitting there when Jesus just shouted that amidst everybody and his earthly family's outside there? Whoa, Jesus, you consider us your family? Even closer than your family who's standing outside? We're more important than your family? Now remember, again, Jesus is not being unkind, rude, or unloving to his earthly family. Family. Rather, he is making his point that his work as Messiah is more important than any natural relation. His mission to seek and to save the lost takes priority 
over family loyalties. Okay? In fact, if we think this is shocking as it relates to us tonight, also being his disciples, if you are, listen to what Jesus said in Luke 14, 26. Are you ready for something even more shocking than what we just read? Okay, Luke 14, 26. He turned to the crowds and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, you think, oh, that's easy to do. You can command me to hate them. Yeah, okay. No, no, listen carefully. He commands them and he says here, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoa. Jesus, you're commanding me to hate my earthly family? No, no, no. Jesus here in Luke 14, 26 uses what we call a hyperbole. If you don't know that, maybe you learn a new word tonight. A hyperbole is an exaggerated statement that's not literal, but it's used in order to make a very strong, important point. Okay? You use it all the time. Like, uh, man, I have a headache. It's the size of Texas. Okay, no, you don't. It might be a big painful headache, but you're, it's not literal. What's that? Size of Alaska. Okay, Alaska, maybe that, but it's not literal. You're using it to make a strong point how bad your headache is. But as Jesus says here, he says, if, if you come to me, you must hate your own father and mother, family, and even your own life in order to be my disciple. Here's, the, here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, using this extreme language to teach that being his disciple means loving him so unreservedly that all other loves seem to be hatred in comparison. You understand that? It's kind of like, like if I, we use the word love a lot. Like, I, for example, if I said, I love gummy bears, okay, but then if I said, I love my wife, uh, my love for gummy bears being a food, not a soul, precious soul I'm to love and to take care of, should seem like hatred towards my love and my care towards my wife. Okay? That's the extreme language that we have to understand here. Okay? Guys, tonight, as you hear these words, be examining your life to see what is my love like towards the one I say I love, which is Jesus Christ, compared to other things of the earth. How does that compare? Does your love for everything else seem like hatred? Compared to loving Christ. Here's the amazing, confusing thing. Well, if I love him with all my heart, soul, mind, strength, I'm gonna love my wife, my family, my children, right? 
So there's, a, there's an understanding here of what this true love is that he's speaking of here and being a true disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why he's using this extreme language. But question, question in regards to our text here. Why would Jesus be calling them his family? He just said, behold, you guys here are my brothers. Why would Jesus be calling them his family? Why do you think? Yeah, they would be calling him his brothers specifically because he is. They're both, uh, they're, if they're believing in him, they're adopted sons of God. Yeah. The son of God, so they would technically be his brothers. Yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What else? Why else? Why, 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 why would Jesus be calling them his family? Any other stabs? Yeah, another one? Yeah. They believe in him, and it says that his brothers didn't believe in him. Right. I guess not right. at the time, probably. Yep. So they wouldn't be his heavenly family. Mm. His disciples would be his heavenly family mm-hmm. because they believe in him. Well, yeah. His brothers don't. Absolutely. Although I don't know about his mother because I'm pretty sure his mother did. Yeah. Back in Luke 2, even with what you're saying, remember after he said, why, why, why do you seek me? I must be about my father's business. While everybody else was like, oh, what? You know what the the next verse says? It says Mary treasured these things in her heart. So that's a little proof that, yeah, she was, she was, not perfectly, but she was believing. Okay. But yeah, good point on, on why Jesus would be calling them his family. Anything else? Why he'd be saying, you're my brothers. You're my mothers. Any other shots? And again, sometimes don't think too hard. Cause I don't, sometimes someone asks me a question. I think too hard. Like, no, it's simple. Okay, it's simple. And you, you were right on it. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's very true. Very true. Because God created us. God created us. He, we are made in his image. Sure. But just because we're made in his image, does that mean we're a part of his eternal heavenly family? No. Yeah. Did you have your... Uh, sorry. Yeah. Um... um. God calls his believers his bride. Yeah. And that would make Jesus um, the son. So okay. Technically, make us the mother. Okay. I see where you. I see where you're. 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 You're going as far as family goes. Okay. Yes. He didn't say that his mother and his brothers weren't his family. He just said that his disciples were. His good. Family. Good. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. All oh, you guys are good. You're thinking. Anything else? Going once. Going twice. Yeah? Uh, <laughs> uh no. No? You had a thought and it, you're, yeah, okay, I hear you. Yes. Oh, no, you can't point to others. It has to be voluntary. <laughs> okay. Okay. Now, I just want to just watch how simple this is. Now, all of you are on the, on the, on the right track here, okay? But listen. Why would Jesus be calling them his family? Because they were with him. They were around him. They were at his feet. They were listening to him. They were following him, seeking to imitate him in life and lip. This is being a, as our text says, a disciple of Jesus. You know what the word 
disciple in our text tonight is, it's, it's mathetes, which means student, apprentice, learner, one who studies their master so much that they begin to look more and more like the one that they're learning from. You know, like to your coach or to others that you look up to and that you love. You study them and you become a disciple, a follower, a learner of them. You want to be like them, right? This is why Jesus calls them his family. They were there at his feet. They were studying him. They, they hungered and thirsted for, for him and for the words of life. Followers of Christ are his nearest relations. These make up the true family of God. And that is shown and reflected in his body on earth, which is the church. And this is the superiority, the preeminence of spiritual, our spiritual relationship to Christ and his people over physical relationships, which is by blood and genealogies. The supremacy, the preeminence of our spiritual relationship with Christ is greater than our physical relationships to our blood relatives. As precious and as thankful of those things as as I am, and as I hope and I think you guys are of your own family, as precious as that is, understand that the church of Jesus Christ is infinitely beyond that. And that is also why we pray for and we desire the salvation of those whom, oh man, we live live with them, we eat with them, we, we do so much with them. So don't lose sight of that. The preeminence of our relationship to Christ is greater than any other relationship, blood-wise. And so another question then for us, how do you know you are in God's family? That brings us to point three. How do you know, guys, tonight that you are in God's family? Okay, that brings us to point three, the qualification for being in the family of God. Verse 50, Jesus says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. (laughs) Now, according to this sentence, what is the qualification for being a true disciple of Jesus in the family of God? What is the qualification? What's that? To do the will of God the Father, right? That is the qualification. What did Jesus say? For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. But question, what is the the will? Another word for will is, what is the desire? What is the pleasure? What is the determination of God? What is the will of God? God, you, you guys, you've probably heard this a lot, um, will of God talk, like, oh, what is the will of God for my life? What is the will of God for this? What is the will of God for that? Let me ask you this tonight. What would your response be if someone just came up to you, if I came up to you and I said, hey, what's the will of God? You're talking about God, maker of all things, creator, savior, redeemer, king. And someone says to you, what is the will? Probably one, one of them. 
top 10 questions in all the universe, and that, that's up there. What is the will of God? What would your response be? Yeah. Sanctification. Good. What else? Came up to you and you're having a hard day and things aren't going your way. And, or you're having a good day. And I say, hey, man, what, what's the will of God? I mean, more specifically, what was the will of God for, for my life? <laughs> Got another one? Wait, wait, I see, wait. Where are we at? I keep pointing at somebody. <laughs> yeah, go ahead again. For the will of God is to bring glory to himself. Okay, to bring glory to God. Good, good, absolutely. Let me, let me move us a little bit further down the road as we, as we, as we start to, to wrap things up tonight. Look real quickly. I want you to see the same exact setting, the same exact account how Luke recorded it, okay? Turn to Luke 8.21. And for the remaining moments that we have together, I hope your fingers are wet and ready to turn a couple pages in your Bibles tonight, okay? Get them ready. Okay, yeah, you don't have to wet them if you, if you don't need to. I have to. My hands are dry. Um, <laughs> we're going to be turning to a couple passages of Scripture to help us understand the will of God, okay? Because this is the main, main, main point tonight in our text, Turn to Luke 8, 21. This is the same account what we're studying tonight as we come to the end of Matthew 12, okay? Jesus teaching his disciples. Scribes and Pharisees are there. His family's outside the door seeking to speak to him. Same account, Luke 8, 21. And remember what the question is. What is the will of God for your life? Check it out. It's as simple as this. Listen to what Jesus said, what, what Luke records. Luke 8, 21. My mother and my brothers are those who... Are you ready for these two? These are the two last points that we're going to look at tonight. My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Close your Bibles. Let's pray. Amen. Dismiss. That is the will of God. Guys, listen carefully. Hear the word of God and do it. That is so simple. And that, is, that is so grand and so complicated. It, not really. Not really. Jesus says in this very same account as Luke records it, you know who my brothers and sisters are? You know who my disciples are? You know who my family is? Those who hear my word? And do it. The will of God is that you hear the truth and do it. Let's talk about hearing just for a second. Hearing. Back then, the majority of learning happened by hearing. All right? You'd come to the school, you'd come to the synagogue, and you would sit and you would listen to, to, to mom and dad in the mornings, in the afternoons, in the evenings. You didn't have these writing tablets like we have. We have electronics, we have paper, we have. Your learning was done by hearing. Hearing. Deuteronomy 6. Moses says, hear, O Israel. 
The Lord our God is one. Solomon said to his sons over and over again in in the book of Proverbs, hear your father's instruction. Hear God's word. Remember, they didn't have 10 copies of the scriptures sitting around their houses like you and I do. That great privilege that we have. When they had to hear the words of life, God's living word, man, they had to pucker, they had to get their ears ready and hear because they wouldn't know if they're going to hear it again next week or next month or when, ne- next time. They had to hear. They had to listen up. And when it comes to hearing, you know, this doesn't just have to do with receiving sound to our eardrums or having the ability to hear noise, okay? That's not what we're talking about. My, my parents would often say, son, uh, did you hear me when I asked you to take out the trash? Son, did you hear me when I said be kind to your sisters? Um, and like I think some of us do uh, an awful lot, we'll say, yeah. And, and, and my, my parents' response would be, I don't think you did. I don't think you really did hear me. So true hearing leads to doing. Because hearing has to do with the heart. It's a matter of obedience when it comes to us knowing and doing God's will. This is why Jesus often said time and time again in his earthly ministry, he said this, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You have to have a heart, a life that truly receives the word of God for what it is, which is the word of God. So Jesus shows us here in verse 50 of our text tonight that the ones who are at Jesus's feet, hearing him, listening to him, following him in his teachings, his ways, his life, his character, these are the ones who are his brothers and sisters. This is proof of being in the adopted family of God. And this is the supremacy of spiritual relationships in the body of Christ over family relationships. The hearing of the word should lead to the doing of the word, which is God's will for every one of us here tonight. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but we need to get a little bit more specific. When you hear the phrase, the will of God, what comes to your mind? When you hear the phrase, the will of God, especially when it comes to decision-making, day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, when you hear the will of God, what comes to your mind? Or what questions might you have when it comes to the will of God? The will of God for what? Do you ever have any of those questions? I know I did when I was your age. Maybe you just can't put it into words. I'll help you out here in a minute. Yes? I mean, the will of God is just what's in the Bible and anything that, I mean, the Bible tends to cover everything. Right. If it doesn't say it specifically, then I guess it's just an issue of conscience. Okay, there could be a conscience. Yeah, yeah, good point. Good point. I mean, I don't think that God's really just going to come out of the cloud and speak to you and tell you what he wants to do, so. Correct. You kind of just have to know what the Bible says and make a decision based on that. Good. Good, but let me ask you this, okay? And we're going to get to, we're going to pound away at what you just mentioned here in a second. But what about this? What's the will of God 
for me when it comes to like who I'm going to marry someday. What is God's will in that? Or which school am I going to go to? What job am I going to have? Right? There's questions like that that come up as well. But a couple more passages to turn to. Okay, you guys ready? One key passage, and you can, you, can put your, you can put your fingers here, okay? 1 John 2, have that one ready. Have 1 Thessalonians 4 open, and have Psalm 1 open, okay? 1 John 2, save a spot. 1 Thessalonians 4, save another spot. And Psalm 1, save that as well. Couple of key passages to help us understand God's will. And our first one is tucked away in 1 John chapter 2. We're just going to look at verses 15 to 17. Just briefly. 1 John 2, 15 to 17. What is the will of God? John says, 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. According to this passage, what is God's will? You have the, yes. Okay, you're right in a general sense, okay? You're absolutely right. But according to this passage, what is God's will for you? Uh, Yes. To not love the world. To not love the world. Good. Yes? And the way that Pastor Tom said it, you said it's put on. Yep. Good. Absolutely. Good. And you guys see the warning here, right? If anyone loves the world, all that's in the world, the, what, 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 it explains what the world is. Do you see that in this text? What does that mean? Wait, what, I love the world. It's beautiful outside and the, the mountains and the streams. and the, I love the world. It's, God made it. Right? Well, the, our passage explains what he means by world and the world system and its thinking. What is in the world? There's three key things that's mentioned here. What's it say? I'll give you a hint. It's verse 16. What does he mean when he says, don't love the world? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. Correct. Those are the three things that make up a godless world. Okay? You see that? That's what the, don't love these things. The lust, the strong desires of, of the sensualities, the eyes, and, and, and the things that can so easily control you and be deceived by. The, the lust of the eyes, the desire of the eyes, and the boastful pride. None of us struggle with pride here tonight, do we? No, yeah. <laughs> you have to ask yourself this question tonight in regards to the will of God for your life. Do I love these things? Do I think it's cool, it's big and bad to just, yeah. Think this way about these girls and look here and, 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 
And to let my eyes wander here and to think like the world and what's cool and acceptable and to be pride. I mean, what's nothing wrong with pride? Man, my favorite athletes and my favorite, all they're pride, they're big and bad. And yeah, what's wrong with that? Everything's wrong with that because that's not Christ like. <laughs> uh, do you see that in your Savior, in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, in anywhere in the scriptures? I don't see it. He says so gently, so kindly, so firmly to us these things that are of the world, by the way, in verse 17. They're passing away. It's going to be snuffed out. All the big, bad, cool, godless stuff that people think so awesome regarding the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. It's going to be gone. It's going to be gone. All this stuff. Be gone. And it's lust, a strong lust that I know all of us as guys, we, we struggle, we wrestle with sometimes. It's going to be gone. It's going to be gone. But the one who does the will of God abides in the family of God forever. Lives forever in peace, joy, righteousness, love of God forever. The one who does the will of God. I hope you have your fingers ready in 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 3 to 5. We continue to talk about what is God's will. Very clear in 1 John 2, 15 to 17. Here's another clear one. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5. Listen, follow along carefully. For, it doesn't get any clearer than this. <laughs> Look, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God. Oh, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? Tell me, God. Your sanctification. You just mentioned it earlier. Your holiness. Listen, God is more concerned, guys, about your holiness than he is your happiness. Does God want you to be happy? Absolutely. According to his will. According to his ways. This is the will of God. Keep going. Your sanctification. Well, okay, what kind of holiness? That you abstain from sexual immorality. That you stay away. That you run from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel, your body, in sanctification and honor. Not in lustful passion. Guys, we live in a lustful passion world. You see on the commercials. You see on the billboards. You struggle with it in your own mind. Not to live in lustful passion like the Gentiles who don't know the living God. Listen, guys, sometimes when we, if we're living in this and we're just caught in sexual immorality and this lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, both of our pride, you know how we're living? According to this passage, we're living like we don't know God. We're living like an atheist. If that's your path, if that's your course of life, what is the will of God? That you abstain. That you be, remember Joseph? Remember Parfer's wife coming in trying to deceive him, trick him, and get him all messed up? She's beautiful. Joseph was such a man of God that he said, how could I do such a wicked thing as to follow my lustful passions and have this moment of, of excitement and, and, and passion that feels so good? How can I sin in such a way against my God? And he, she was all over him and he ran. So fast 
that his coat was left there. That's a man of God. That's a cool man. That's a man who loves the will of God. That's a man who loves God. So according to this passage, what is God's will? Talk to me. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-5, what is God's will? Say it in your own words. Say it according to the text. What is God's will? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Anything else? Yeah. Sanctification. You know another word for sanctification is? To, but yeah. Holiness? Yeah. To be increasing in Christ likeness and holiness, separate from the world, unto God. Yeah, anything else? And listen, guys, I know it might be hard, but understand this, okay? When it comes to what a man and a woman and a husband and wife does together as it should be done in love, okay? Where we get babies from as well, okay? That is a holy thing. That is a gift of God. But the world has corrupted it. And our own sin, less of our flesh, past corrupts it, makes it what it ought not to be. Don't forget that. It's a gift of God. And God says, once you be holy, once you enjoy that in marriage, in purity, and it's holy, it's a gift. His way, his way, not the world's way, which says, ah, do it here, do it there, look here, look there, treat girls, look at them this way, look at that. No, that is our sinful, lustful, passionate way. God's way is, I know that you struggle with it. He says, I know, I know, I know, but no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, and he will provide a way of escape for you. Every single time when you're faced with that certain temptation, God provides a way of escape for you. He's faithful. So we can't sit back and say, God, I can't do it because, you know, no, I can't. No, you, God, you've got it. He says, I've given you everything you need. I've given you my son, my word, prayer, God's people. I've given you all that you need. He is faithful. There's always a way of escape. The thing is, is we have to go that route. The way of escape. So God's will, guys, tonight is to run from sexual immorality. Run from that. And as it was already mentioned, we run to Christ. We run to the truth. We run to that which truly satisfies. And everything else says, ah, oh, this will say. No, it's deception. It's lies. It's lies, and it doesn't last. Psalm 1. Psalm 1, last one for you to, to turn to. We're talking about God's will, remember? Okay? But in this passage, we're going to look at what a young man's life looks like when he does the will of God. When you do run from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, and when you choose Christ... By his grace. What, what does his life look like? Ready? Psalm 1, and we're just going to read the first half. The psalmist opens the, the gates of the entire psalms right here in Psalm chapter 1. And he begins by saying this. How happy. <laughs> how blessed is the man. Is the young man. 
here tonight, who does not walk, make a pattern, make a habit, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, those who mock God. But, look, his delight, his joy, his gladness is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Let me ask you, according to this passage, what does a young man's life look like when he does God's will? He prospers. prospers. What does it mean to prosper? Do good. Be successful. Yeah. What else, How, what else does a, a young man's life look like when he does God's will, according to this passage? That he meditates on scriptures day and night. Yeah. You're, you're meditating on, script, on God's word, his truth, day and night. Does that mean you have to be re- reading um, eight and a half hours of your Bible every day, every night? <laughs> Some of you say yes. No, <laughs> that's not what that means. Meditating on it. Do you have it even in your mind, in your heart, in order to meditate upon it, to feast upon it? Yes. If you're, if you're truly that, then you will be firmly planted, which means that if a temptation comes, you will be able to withstand. Good. Amen. You'll be able to withstand it. Be, that way of escape is far easier to choose as you're meditating on his word. Absolutely. What else? Yeah. Yeah, there's fruit. There's good fruit being born. Uh, what are the fruits of, what's the fruit of the Spirit? <laughs> what's that? Guys, did you hear the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah, that's going to become more and more exuding out of you. Only as you meditate upon his word and you have it tucked away in your heart that you may not sin against him. How blessed is this man? Let me ask you tonight. How happy are you? How happy are you even if you don't get what you want? How happy are you? If all you had And you didn't have your toys, you didn't have your cars, you didn't have your stuff, you didn't have your job, you didn't have any deal. How happy would you be? Well, according to the scriptures, if you're you're in Christ, you'd be the happiest man on the planet. (laughs) Do you understand? The one who walks according to God's will, you'll be a Psalm chapter one young man, increasingly. Is his word your delight? In light of our passage tonight, as we see Jesus giving the words of life and his disciples, his eternal heavenly family, they're drinking it all in and his earthly family's outside the door just wanting him to come to his senses and stop. I ask you this, which family are you in tonight? Are you the family that, that just wants the God talk and the scriptures to stop? Kind of like, how his family outside the doors was kind of just like, let's get on with the real stuff, the good stuff of life, Jesus, okay? Are you in that family? Or are you in the family that joyfully gathers at the feet of Jesus to hear his word and to put it into practice? To, to put on the armor of God. Are you in that family? 
This isn't to say that our, again, that our earthly families aren't important and that Jesus didn't love his earthly family. He did. And in fact, many of them ended up believing in him after his resurrection. And for example, we have two of his brothers, his half-brothers, James, who wrote the letter of James in the New Testament, and Jude. Pretty cool, huh? But the point tonight is really, is our relationship to God right? Are you a disciple of his doing his will? Are you one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness and no longer for the world? Guys, you got to answer that question in your heart tonight before God. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness and no longer for the world? Well, how do we respond to all this? What is our application tonight? Just briefly, number one, know God's will. We just talked about it. (laughs) Number one is you have to know God's will. Guys, aren't you so glad the God of the universe did not keep this a secret? It's not a secret. Know God's will. You don't have to look in the sky to clouds or, or some, some, like a Jesus picture in a burrito or something. No, you don't find God's will there. Okay? And believe me, people, that has happened and it happens all the time. Okay, we'll talk about that later. But number one is you have to know God's will. His will, please listen carefully. If you don't get anything else out of tonight, his will is not first of all what you do but who you are as a person. His will is not, first of all, what you do, but who you are as a person. What do I mean by that? John MacArthur puts it very clearly and plainly for us. The will of God is simple, as we've just talked about, but he sums it up for us. Are you ready for this? The will of God, guys, is that you be saved. That you be saved from the wrath that is to come. That you and I justly deserve. The, the, the will of God is that you be saved, that you be saved from the judgment, that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Saved from sin and sin's eternal consequences. Saved from yourself. Saved unto God. You were once a child of wrath and diso- sons of disobedience, Ephesians 2, and now that you become an adopted son of God. That is his will. His will is that you be saved. His will is also that you be spirit-filled. We talked about this a moment ago. To be spirit-filled is to be word-filled. And we see that in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4. What does it mean to be spirit-filled? No. Oh, wait for the spirit to lead. No. You have his word living in you. You know how to make decisions appropriately and gain wisdom by God's word and his grace to make decisions throughout the day, throughout your years. Guys, If this is the case, you don't have to stress about hmm, making really any other decisions in life. Be spirit-filled. Be word-filled. Meditate on it day and night. You will be blessed. You will be honored. You will be successful and prosper. Third, his will is that you be sanctified, set apart, increasingly becoming like his son. And submissive submissive to God's word. Even things don't make sense. It's hard. You know, like when you try to be submissive to your mother and father when they say something to do and it doesn't make sense to you, God says submit, honor them. That's true submission, honor. They want what's best for you. You submit and you say, okay. Submitting to God in all that his word says is his will. And fifthly, even suffering. 
It's the will of God that you suffer, even for his name's sake, in different capacities, in different ways, that you suffer. That you suffer. But that suffering leads to continued growth in Christ and sanctification. It's simple. Know God's will. And by the way, if you're, if you're knowing God's will and you're doing this, you're saved, you're spirit-filled, you're sanctified, you're submissive, and you're suffering, even for his namesake and little persecution, guys at school, whatever, saying, oh man, you're that Jesus guy, you believe the Bible. Even that bits of suffering, that's proof more and more that you're, that you're his. And that's actually good for you because it causes you to depend and trust in God more. Know God's will. You be saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, suffering. Once we know his will for who we are to be, then listen, everything else will fall into place as to what we are to do. You understand that? You don't have to stress about, oh, what college am I going to go to? What team am I going to be a part? Or what, or what am I going to, what am I going to wear tomorrow? Or what, all these things that we say, it's no big deal. If, if, you're, if you're walking according to God's will, Everything else falls into place. It might be hard here and there to, to choose different things, but you're like, oh, is it, you say, okay, is it sinful? Is it right? Is it, okay, I can do it. I can make this decision. Know God's will. Number two, you have to walk in God's will. Walk in God's will. James 1.21 says, be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. A true disciple of Christ not only knows God's will, he loves God's will, he walks in it, he eats it, he drinks it. He has a new will now, a new heart that desires to walk on the path of righteousness, which God has given him in his perfect word, and his word does not disappoint. In closing, Psalm 119, verses 1 to 3. Ask yourself this as we close. Is this my prayer? Is this the man that I want to be? Psalm 119. How blessed, how happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who seek him with all their heart. They also do not work unrighteousness, but they walk in his ways. Which family are you a part of? Are you a part of the family of God? Are you a true disciple of Christ tonight? And you can know that even before we leave, according to what we've just read in God's word. His will is that you be saved. His will is that you be saved, sanctified, set apart unto him, submissive, spirit-filled, walking in his ways. Are we going to do that perfectly? Perfectly? Absolutely not. Just live with me for a week and it'll be... Right? No, not perfectly. It's not about, about perfection, but it is about direction. What direction are you on in life? Do you love him? Do you love his word? Do you love his people? Do you love righteousness according to how he has revealed it in his son and his word? Do you, let me ask you this, do you hate sin? Do you really hate it? Even our strongest hatred compares nothing to God's hatred of it. But yet he sent his son to die for those very sins that we toyed with, 
and petted with to save us, to bring us to himself, to give us new life, a new heart, a new will, a new desire to be a part of the family of God to where Jesus looks at you and he says, Behold, my brothers. What a brother we have, as, if, as the book of he- Hebrews tells us. He's our brother. He died for us. And he's bringing us home. Which family are you in? Are you walking according to, the God's, to God's will, as revealed in his word? It's simple. But God must give you a new heart, a new will, a new desire to know him, love him, follow him all of your days, right on into eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of it, Lord. Help us to know your will increasingly by your word and to walk in it because we want to glorify you in all that we do. Help us, Lord, to receive this truth and to rejoice in our good and gracious King. Thank you for these these guys here tonight, Lord. Um, If any are not in Christ, would you by your spirit, by the words of life, regenerate them and, and make them new, a new creation in Christ that now hungers and thirsts after the one who, who bled and died and rose again on their behalf. All according to your grace and mercy, Lord. We can do nothing good apart from you, yet we cry out, Lord, help us to walk according to your will and to glorify you, our heavenly Father, who loved us and gave his son up for us to bring us home. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Guys, what questions do you have about um, this passage tonight, what we just went over?